Hello and welcome to Skepticast, the show that makes you cocktail party smart in 15 minutes-ish. Today, we're talking about something people love a lot, but has a completely unsustainable business model. No, not every Silicon Valley IPO in the last five years, it's the US Postal Service. We'll start with a quick history, then we'll look at the problems it's facing today, and finally we'll close with its role in the 2020 election. But first, wait, what? A segment in which my producer Mimi reads to me the best and worst headlines of the week. In the COVID-19 recession, Europe props up jobs, while the U.S. props up workers. Wage subsidies keep the EU's official unemployment rate lower than the U.S.'s, but could hold it back in the long run. America, baby. It's like, this is, it's like, I feel like my brain is breaking because we actually did one social safety net better than Europe, and I, like, don't know how to process that. But it does make a lot more sense to just give money to workers as opposed to giving money to companies. Um, so it's like, this sounds really weird to say, but, like, well done, America? Although then we let all their benefits expire, so, like, not really well done. FDA grossly misrepresented blood plasma data, scientists say. Wait, they, what? What? At a news conference on Sunday announcing the emergency approval of blood plasma for hospitalized COVID-19 patients, President Trump and two of his top health officials cited the same statistic, that the treatment had reduced deaths by 35%. But scientists were taken aback by the way the administration framed this data, which appeared to have been calculated based on a small subgroup of hospitalized COVID-19 patients in a Mayo Clinic study, those who were under 80 years old, not on ventilators, and received plasma known to contain high levels of antibodies within three days of diagnosis. <laughs> cool. Lies, damn lies, and statistics, right? I love that. So President Trump announced some sort of a treatment, and now, like, we don't even really trust it. We are on, like, a sleigh ride to Putin, and I do love that Putin, like, what was it, two, three weeks ago, whatever, Russia was like, we have a COVID vaccine, and literally the entire world was like, no, just we're not even... Like, it didn't even, it barely even got a news cycle, because people were just like, absolutely not. Um, and so, yeah, it's really cool to know that we're basically on track for that. California fires live updates. Mega fires could burn for weeks. There are 625 blazes burning across the state, and they have scorched an area larger than the state of Delaware. Damn. That's just sad, man. Like... It's also sad for Delaware that, like, California can burn an area bigger than Delaware. And, like, it's sad, but overall the state is not drastically affected. And Delaware is just over there, like, registering shell corporations or something. U.S. Mint Director asks Americans to tackle national coin shortage. <laughs> Wait, don't we lose money on producing coins? So wouldn't it be, like, not bad that... We aren't, like, isn't it, what is it? Like, you lose money on making a nickel, I'm pretty sure, right? I did love going to Coinstar as a kid, though. I would, like, save up all my quarters from, like, my little bubblegum purchases or whatever, and then I'd go to Coinstar at the, when my mom was at the grocery store, and I'd get, like, 20 bucks, and I was, like, so rich. <laughs> now, on to our main topic for the day, the U.S. Postal Service. The Postal Service today is like gravity or Grey's Anatomy. It's just something that has always existed. But actually, it has a pretty fascinating history, and it's closely intertwined with the broader development of the colonies and then the United States. So the U.S. Postal Service was actually established in 1970 by Richard Nixon, and that's still what he's best known for today. 
Long before that, though, the first ever male receptacle was set up in 1639 in Massachusetts at Richard Fairbanks Tavern. It was common throughout Europe and the colonies to use taverns and coffee houses to send and receive mail, and it would be 50 more years until the post office actually would establish a branch in Pennsylvania in 1683. In 1737, a 30-year-old publisher and newspaper man with a strange habit of impersonating an elderly woman was appointed the Postmaster General of Philadelphia. That man, Benjamin Franklin, used the position to increase the circulation of his papers, and then he later became the Postmaster General of the Colonies and then the first Postmaster General of the United States. At the time, that was a cabinet-level post, and it, they led the U.S. Post Office Department, which was a federal agency. Sadly for Franklin, no one makes Broadway musicals about Postmaster Generals. But look, Franklin wore a fur hat around France, and he, like, boned a bunch of French noblewomen. So I do feel like Lin-Manuel Miranda is really missing out here. Um, but Broadway's closed till probably forever, so maybe he's smart. But from the beginning with the post office, there was a lot of controversy. In the 1780s, a new postmaster general, Ebenezer Hazard, wanted to cut costs, and he implemented a bunch of changes to do so. The Anti-Federalists seized upon Hazard's proposed changes, and they said it was a plot by George Washington to influence the postmaster general to suppress anti-Federalist communications. So it wasn't true, but George Washington got a lot of shit for it. Ebenezer Hazard had to walk back some of the changes, and then Washington did not reappoint him. Two things stick out to me in that story. First, that controversy is like weirdly similar to what's happening today. So cost-cutting measures at the Postal Service have always been easily politicized. Uh, and then second is like, what happened to names like Ebenezer Hazard? Or like Cotton Mather? You know, like, if you look at our colonial history, it's all these dudes with names that sounded like they just got rejected from Hogwarts, and now our candidates are like Donald or Joe. Anyway, the post office did not deliver directly to homes until 1863, but rural free delivery, which was delivery to rural areas, was not fully implemented until 1902. Up until that point, if you lived in a rural area, you just had to go to your local post office. So, as always... Americans found some pretty interesting loopholes in the early days of the post office. In the early 1900s, when the post office moved to allow people to mail parcels, and that included uh, small select live animals, more than once, someone decided to mail their own child. They just stuck stamps on a kid's coat and then mailed them to, like, their grandparents or something. And honestly, it's really a shame that you can't do that anymore. This generation lacks discipline, and I do think a quick round trip in an Amazon box would do a lot of good. My children will be deeply traumatized, but they will be obedient. The U.S. Post Office Department faced huge burdens throughout the 20th century as demand and volume increased, but its hands were tied by Congress. As one example, in Chicago in the mid-60s, it got so bad that mail postmarked for Christmas didn't arrive until after Valentine's Day. It's like the male version of Love Actually, that film that exists in the sort of strange space between Christmas and Valentine's Day, and for which Emma Thompson deserved an Oscar, I will die on that hill, thank you. The biggest change occurred in 1970, though, under President Nixon. So that bill replaced the U.S. Post Office Department, which was part of the executive branch, with a now autonomous agency subject to a degree of congressional control, and this new agency was called the U.S. Postal Service. 
So the takeaway here is that Benjamin Franklin deserves a musical. From the beginning, the post office had a lot of problems meeting its goal of servicing the entire population in a financially sustainable way, and then they created a new agency in 1970 to try to address those challenges. So let's look at where we are today. After the 1970 law, the Postal Service was to receive nothing in taxpayer funds. It would be run like a private organization, but with a built-in sugar daddy, the U.S. Treasury. The Postal Service would be managed by a board of governors. Nine of the governors are appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate, and these nine then select the Postmaster General and the Deputy Postmaster General, who oversee the day-to-day operations. By law, no more than five of the governors can be from the same political party. That law also created the Postal Rate Commission, whose job it is to regulate the determination of postal rates. The concern was that giving the U.S. Postal Service a monopoly on mail and the right to set rates on its own was like a perfect example of how to screw over the very people it sought to serve, because you've given them a monopoly and then the power to set the price. So the Postal Service's finances got really complicated in 2003 to 2006. I'll try to keep this simple because when I was reading through all of this, I felt like I was back in my accounting class pretending I knew what debits and credits were. Uh, Long story short, there were a few different laws and regulations that passed, mostly to address the Postal Service's payouts to its retirees. At the time, the Postal Service was actually still pretty profitable. Um, It had some debt to pay down, but like its operations looked pretty good. So in 2006, uh, Congress passed a law which required the Postal Service to prepay all future retiree benefits. Most companies don't pay out retiree benefits until they come due. And actually, the Postal Service is the only federal agency with this obligation. It's now required to pay about $5 billion or more every single year into the fund so that they have enough cash set aside to fund retirement obligations for the next 50 years. That's like a huge amount of money. And if you look at their financial statements, and then also there's research from the Institute for Policy Studies... If you take out the requirement to prepay retiree health benefits and they were allowed to do a pay-as-you-go plan, the Postal Service actually would have an operating profit of a few hundred million a year. But instead, they're required to pay this $5 billion. So that means they also, not only are they in debt, but they can't invest that money in other capital improvements and they can't modernize a lot of their infrastructure. So another big obstacle the Postal Service faces is that they actually can't raise rates for first-class mail except for to keep pace with inflation. First-class mail is basically like letters back and forth, um, but it's also the most profitable. And so Congress is like, oh, you could just price gouge, but uh, USPS can change the rates for packages because those compete with private services like the uh, UPS or FedEx or something. Basically, the Postal Service was set up to be autonomous and financially sustainable, independent of the whims of Congress, but then Congress felt some new whims and slowly chipped away at it and fucked it all up. I mean, what can I say? Congress gonna Congress. So the post office is in a bad position, and COVID didn't help, but then it kind of did. So uh, because of the increase in all the package volume during COVID, the Postal Service actually has a lot more cash on hand than they previously thought. And so they have a credit line from the Treasury, but the Postal Service recently said because of all this new package volume, they don't need to draw on any debt from the Treasury for like another year or so. And a lot of that ties back into the debate around whether or not Amazon is good or bad for the post office. Without Amazon, the post office loses a big portion of revenue to help offset some of its very high fixed costs. 
At the same time, given the volume of first-class mail has been declining, it might make sense to re-examine the pricing structure with Amazon. So what's the takeaway here? In 1970, Congress created the Postal Service to be an independent agency, and then kept doing things to mess up its independence. They really screwed them over in 2006 by forcing them to prepay all future retiree health benefits. These factors, combined with a decrease in first-class mail volume, have put the Postal Service in some pretty bad positions, and it doesn't have a lot of tools to fix it itself. This all brings us to 2020 and the upcoming election. So Donald Trump has no idea how literally anything works. I think that we all know that. That's like not a hot take. He has been propelled to some sick specter of success through pathological narcissism, inherited wealth, and arteries lined with McDonald's Happy Meals. Trump said voting by mail creates major fraud, but absentee voting doesn't. To be clear, these two things are basically the exact same thing. So absentee voting is when somebody physically can't make it to the polls. They're like a, a military service member overseas. They're a college student. They're high as fuck. It could be a lot of reasons. So absentee voting is a type of voting by mail. Voting by mail, more broadly, refers to, say it with me, anyone voting by mail. It's the same ballot, and it goes to the same election official. The only difference is that in some states, they require you to give a specific reason as to why you need the absentee ballot. A lot of states, though, have, quote, no excuse absentee voting, so it's just voting by mail. You can just vote it if you feel like it, if it's just more convenient for you. So they're not really different at all. And as for Trump's claims that these lead to widespread fraud, well... Sadly, like his claim about the FDA treatment of COVID and most other things he says, it actually has no real basis in reality. So there's been a lot of really good research into voter fraud in the U.S. And a lot of different think tanks and newspapers have looked into it. And it's really just not an issue in the U.S. So like the Brennan Center for Justice, which is at NYU Law School, they found the incidence rate of voter fraud to be between 0.0025% and 0.0003%. A separate study by the Washington Post looked into just the 2016 election, and they found four cases of voter fraud. There were over 130 million votes cast in 2016, and four ballots were proven to be fraudulent. So look, whatever the other problems with the U.S. election system... Voter fraud is just not really one of them. Uh, there's also some kind of random arguments out there floating around that vote by mail helps Democrats. And so we looked into this and a study by a team of political scientists at Stanford looked at states and other regions who conduct elections almost entirely by mail. And they actually found it has no advantage to either party. And um, it has a slight increase in voter turnout, but that's about even across party lines. And then finally, there are a lot of concerns about Trump, uh, how he wanted the new postmaster general, Louis DeJoy, to be appointed because DeJoy, he was a major GOP donor. So then the argument is that now they're targeting the Postal Service in order to effectively guarantee a Trump win since so many people are going to be voting by mail. Uh, so this, this part actually kind of isn't really true. Like there's not very good evidence for it. So Louis DeJoy was a major logistics executive prior to his appointment. And so... In that respect, he's a pretty reasonable person to take this new job. Uh, as Postmaster General, he has undertaken some cost-cutting measures. 
And that's also not a particularly scary thing. I mean, we just talked about the post office needs to modernize and Congress hasn't really done anything to solve a lot of its core problems. So uh, every year in recent times, because of Congress's inaction, the Postal Service has decommissioned sorting machines. And because these machines, they've grown outdated or uh, they've consolidated other sorting operations. So this year, it got a, got a lot of press because they decommissioned 671 machines or they ordered 671 machines to be decommissioned. That's a pretty big increase because in the past few years, they've decommissioned like 130 or so per year. But the plan to decommission all of those machines was established in May, which was before DeJoy took office. And actually, after all of the outcry, DeJoy paused any further decommissioning of machines until after the election to avoid even the the appearance of impropriety. There were also a lot of images going around on social media that showed mailboxes being taken away from major cities. But if you actually look into it, a lot of these images were just of mailboxes being taken because they were being replaced with updated ones that had new kind of drop boxes or they were being taken for maintenance to be returned. And I guess it turns out you can't trust every viral thing you see on Twitter. I mean, who knew, right? So look, at present... Every objective analysis indicates that the Postal Service actually has a lot of capacity to handle the volume of election mail. A bigger concern than the Postal Service is that a lot of states, they have vote-by-mail deadlines that do fall really close to election day. So even if there is like a one-day slowdown in mail delivery, that could render some ballots ineligible to be counted. Uh, Kevin Kosar, he's a researcher who's specialized in the Postal Service for decades now. He said, actually, its capacity is fine. But the biggest problem is state election offices who have to handle a lot of the votes uh, by mail, and they may or may not be ready for that. So in the words of Boss Tweed or Mark Twain or whatever other person the internet has decided to pretend said this quote today, vote early and vote often. Actually, you should vote only once per election, because if you do it more, you will definitely get arrested. And if you do it less, you're an idiot. So what's the takeaway here? Trump has cast all kinds of doubts on the Postal Service and voting by mail. But every indication is that actually these two things are safe and pretty much fine. That being said, you definitely do uh, need to get your ballot in early because especially with the state election offices, there is a risk of some mail delays. Um, And if you cut it close, you do run the risk of your vote not being counted. I don't really know if that cheered you up or made you less optimistic, um, but I do know that uh, that's the end of our episode. So thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. I also want to say this will be our last episode for a little while. We'll be back soon. Don't worry. I know that you'll be lost without us. Uh, We'll have some new content and we'll have some new formats. And uh, we just want to close out this episode before our break by saying thank you guys so much to all of our listeners. And we cannot wait to get back in the studio in just a few weeks. Thanks.